This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey guys, Jeremy here with Simple Life. Welcome to episode number 20 of the Simple Little Life podcast. Uh, if this is your first time hearing this podcast, um, it's kind of all over the place. We talk about basically whatever I want to. Uh, the subject for today, though, uh, just to pique your interest, is going to be YouTube, kind of in general, but also equipment for YouTube, stuff like that. But before we get well into it, I hope that you are doing very good. Uh, not sure where this audio is going to find you. Maybe you're working out in your shop. Maybe you're grinding a knife. Maybe you're shoveling snow. Maybe you don't live in a place where you have to shovel snow, which would be really nice, and I'd be jealous of you. Uh, we had a big old snowstorm over the weekend, a blizzard, our first blizzard. We didn't get a lot of snow, though, but this morning I woke up, and it was minus 19 degrees Celsius. Uh, not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's it's cold. You can do the conversion on your phone there, and you'll see that it was very, very cold outside. Uh, but other than that, this past week has been very productive. I was supposed to have a video out for last weekend on a knife, and there's a few issues I had, and I just, it's it's a knife for a customer. And so I take a much different approach when I'm making a knife for a customer as opposed to just one for YouTube. You know, if I'm just doing a, a knife for the sake of a video, there's certain things that I can uh, kind of make up or kind of run with on the fly or change as I'm working. Uh, but this was a knife that was very specifically ordered by a customer. And obviously, I want to give him, you know, to the spec that he's expecting. And so I thought rather than rush it for the sake of getting a video out, I would just make sure I did it properly. I don't want to have to remake this knife. And uh, that will be coming out this week. And I say that every time I say something that's going to happen, either like in a podcast or on my YouTube channel, if you put it out there publicly, it seems that it just kind of <laughs> it makes it so it's not actually going to happen. That's That seems to be the case for me anyways. Um, one thing I have talked about a little bit in the past is a new podcast that I'm working on, and that is coming together. We've got two episodes recorded, one edited, and then we're going to be doing another one on Friday. I'm excited to tell you all about that, let you know what it's about. And um, yeah, that'll be good. <sighs> Obviously, right now, there's all this election stuff going on. And it was, it was kind of weird. I wanted to learn more about politics. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, with this election coming up, maybe I'd try and work a little harder at understanding what's going on. And I, I think I just got more confused. You know, I watch the news and I hear this and I hear that and I hear this. And I'm like, oh, I don't even know what's going on. And, and I don't even really know why I, I want to know. I mean, I understand, you know, I think it's important to vote and it's your right to vote. Um, and obviously you should vote depending on who you believe in or, or their policies, right? Uh, sometimes that could mean voting for a person you don't like their character or their personality, I think more importantly is their policies and their politics, what they plan on doing and what they say. Um, and so that part of it I understand and I get and I, I feel, you know, that's not a part that people, it's not very contentious. I think there's a lot of agreement in that area, but now with this whole, you know, the vote counting and the this and the that, and it's, oh, man, uh, if you kind of look down and start looking into the different possibilities, if different things happen, you know, if this lawsuit goes through that lawsuit. It's just incredible how how deep and like messy this whole thing can get. And so I'm just kind of like, Ugh, whatever. You know what? Wake me up when it's official. <laughs> Either way, really, whatever. Um, 
I'm just all this back and forth and back and forth. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. So we're not going to be putting that into your ears right now. We're going to talk about some stuff on the lighter side. Uh, So on Monday of last week, I picked up a new YouTube camera. And this is a camera that I'd been doing a lot of studying research on. Uh, It's a fairly new camera. Uh, In fact, this is probably the most recent I've ever come into a camera. Usually a camera will be on the market for like a year or two before I actually get my hands on. Actually, you know, that's not the case. When uh, Canon came out with the 5D Mark II, if any of you have been into photography, uh, I actually had pre-ordered it. And this was, I think this was before the days when you could actually order stuff on Amazon. Uh, But I had an order in and I paid for it a couple weeks before it was available. And so when it came into the camera store in Calgary, Alberta, uh, they called me up, said, your camera's here. I rushed in and picked it up. So I actually had a new camera that was new and exciting and stuff like that. But other than that, typically, you know, I'll buy the 70D (laughs) when they come out with the 80D. And um, the G7X Mark II uh, is a great little camera that I've used for years and years. It's like my workhorse of a camera. I think that one was like two years old by the time I got it. It may be here or something like that, but... That's actually the camera that I was looking to replace. And I guess, you know, there's there's different ways to think about creating YouTube videos and content. And, you know, it, it's, I think when it comes down to it, you need to try and create what resonates with you. Now, there's, and this is all, I'll put a kind of a little, a little kind of coding over this whole thing. This is all going to be based on uh, making type videos. So this isn't going to be entertainment, sensationalism, vlogger, stuff like that. But uh, in the making realm, when you look at the videos that you appreciate, uh, the the ones that you really love, you know, it's like, oh, I love these. I love this guy's stuff. I, I think that's the stuff that you're going to be drawn to if you are drawn to create your own. And so what I'd started to do was kind of look at the videos that I really liked and appreciated and, and even not necessarily just in the making, but also in the vlogging and stuff like that. What is it about these videos that resonates with me? And we kind of notice little things. Okay, do they do a lot of jump cuts? You know, cutting from one scene to another scene. Uh, is it very cinematic? Uh, an example of that that we could all probably relate to in the maker community is Alex Steele. I mean, he does an incredible job with his cinematic uh imagery. Uh, Even when it was, you know, not as big of a team as he has now, he put a lot of work into his edits and into getting different shots, different angles. I think it'd be an interesting statistic to look at his channel. If there was ever such a way, I don't think it'd be possible to do this, but see how many different video clips he's actually taken in his career on YouTube so far. Uh, You know, even in the days when he's back in England, uh, so many different shots. It's like, move the camera, take 10 seconds of footage, move the camera, take some footage, move the camera. Just incredible. And so that's one style of of making videos, right? Very cinematic. And I think Alec has proved that you can achieve that solo on your own because he started doing that. It's not like, you know, his videos were just handheld, boring camera angles, and all of a sudden he hired a bunch of people and they got better. I mean, he he pushed himself towards that. And obviously, as you get more success and you start making more money, you can hire people. And then producing that content becomes easier because now you've got a team. The videos that I like to make, that I want to make, you know, I've, I've tried a little bit. People probably never even noticed, but I've tried doing somewhat cinematic uh, cinematography, uh, making videos that are interesting like that. And I do enjoy them, but it's an incredible amount of work to the point that the work kind of sucked the fun out of it. 
And so the videos that I'm really taken to or that, that I want to create, you know, you still want to have a decent image. You still want uh, whatever you want to be in focus to actually be and stay in focus. And then you want decent audio. You know, the expression is that um, uh, more important than the, than the camera is the audio. And, and to a certain extent, yes. Uh, but really, it's not that hard to get good audio. And that was actually one of the reasons why I was looking for a new camera. So the camera that I picked up was a Sony ZV-1, ZV-1, however you like to say it. Um, and I was wanting a camera. Essentially, I just wanted one that's going to be really easy, kind of like a turn it on, get the shot, and, and you're done. Not a lot of fussing, uh, not a lot of messing around. About six months ago, maybe it was even less than that, I actually purchased a Canon M50. And that is a great little camera. I really like it. Uh, but the one thing is it's, I kind of bought it because it's an interchangeable lens because that obviously gives you some different options. Um, but then it's also a bit of a pain in the butt because, you know, the kit lens that it comes with, the 15 to 45, it's a fairly small aperture. It's like, I think it starts at f3.6. So it's not that great in low light, but then it also has uh, not a shallow depth of field. So when you're taking a shot, there's a whole lot of your frame that's in focus. And one really, really easy way to kind of make your videos a little bit interesting is if you can isolate the background with blur. And that has to do with having a, a shallow depth of field. That's what that's called. And so the reason why I was replacing my Canon G7X Mark II is that it's just getting old. Uh, during the course of making YouTube videos with it, I don't know how many times I've dropped it. I've smashed the screen. It's been to Canon two times for repairs. And what it was doing now was it actually was making this fuzzing noise, like the audio in it was just terrible. And it was the point when I'd be editing footage, um, if I wasn't like actually talking, it was, I could just hear, it was starting to drive me nuts. And so I thought, you know what, I really got to do something about this. And I was looking at the Canon, uh, the G7X Mark III, but that one seems to be plagued with focus issues. And when it first came out, it got so many bad reviews because it couldn't focus well at all. And I, I did a lot of research and I've yet to find out that that has fully been rectified. Now, I'd previously kind of looked at Sony's like the uh, RX100 series. And those are interesting, but they're pretty expensive. They're, they're a pricey camera. And the one thing I've never loved about Sony's, and I still, I can still see that this one aspect of the Sony, this brand new Sony, is still inferior to my Canon G7X Mark II. And that is the area of color. I know Sony has gotten a lot better at it, but I think one of the things that people have always criticized Sony's video capabilities is that, is that the color is kind of lacking. And this is like just straight out of the camera color. Obviously, you can shoot in these different flatter profiles and then, you know, do some post-processing, add some LUTs over top of those. Now, if you don't know what a LUT is, I don't know if that's an acronym for it. It's L-U-T, but basically it's just like post-processing with color. But I really have no desire to do any of that when I'm making a YouTube video. You know, I'm going to kind of film what I'm doing and whether I'm going to be speaking to the camera, kind of explaining it as I go, possibly throw a voice over it and over in post-production. I like to be able to like turn the camera on and get a good looking image with good color and be able to isolate the background, uh, you know, get it out of the way, kind of focus only on what the work being done is. And I, I want it just fast and easy, real simple. Uh, one super simple way of making YouTube videos is with a GoPro, uh, but GoPros suck. I, I mean, they they just look terrible. There's a place for them, and I think that place is Action Sports. 
Uh, actually, one of my favorite ways to use a GoPro in a making video is inside of my sandblast cabinet. I've got a couple videos where I actually sandblast the knives and I take my little GoPro Hero Session 4, which is a little tiny cubes, and I Velcro it inside the sandblast cabinet. And one little tip on that, the reason I can do that without destroying the lens, I use clear Gorilla Tape. And so I'll take a piece of clear Gorilla Tape, kind of cut it to a small size that fits just over the lens, and very carefully put it on top of there, kind of smear it all out, get all the bubbles out. And it actually doesn't affect the image too bad, but you're completely protected, right? So when I'm done, you know, pull out all the sandblast cam, I can pull the tape off and I haven't gotten sand onto my lens. I haven't scratched it. Uh, no sand in the speakers because you use a little bit, little bit of tape in the speakers as well. Uh, but that's one thing, just a little tip if you're ever curious about, you know, ways that you can do some somewhat nasty things to your camera and still protect them if it's a GoPro. Uh, clear Gorilla Tape works like a champ. Um, so what do you do? You know, I don't want to be shooting with a DSLR all the time because then you're switching out lenses. It's big. And I had researched this ZV-1 for quite a while and it had some mixed reviews. And again, the I would say probably the biggest thing, like I've been considering buying this camera for over two months and the reason I never had was it the color. Uh, but then I was shooting some video footage recently with my G7X Mark II, my old trusty faithful Canon. And I remember is I was editing some footage and the audio has gotten so bad. And I think, you know, it was never this bad. It's just from abuse and, and being beaten up. I thought, you know what, this, is, this isn't going to work anymore. I, I just can't do this. And then with my uh, Canon M50, I, I mean, the audio is so great on that and the, the image is really nice. But it's not conducive to like carrying around in a hardware store, you know, getting some B-roll or even wandering around in your shop. It weighs a little bit more, takes up more room. You can't put it in quite as tight spaces. And I just thought, you know what, I need a real cheap, not cheap, I need a real small, real simple, easy to use run and gun type camera. And so I picked this thing up and I've been playing with it for about a week and I am thoroughly impressed. Uh, I made a few tweaks. I've, I've watched a bunch of YouTube videos on, you know, various people's settings for this camera. Uh, but the one thing that is just incredible to me is the autofocus. Uh, the first video, actually I have one video up on my YouTube channel that I used it, and that was a video about a ring, a grinding ring. Uh, maybe I'll put a link to that video in the show notes, but uh, this camera has this, this feature called the product showcase. And if you're the type of vlogger that likes to show a lot of product, or if you do unboxing videos, in this setting, it's got this sensing capability where you know, if your face is in the most of the frame, it's tack sharp. And the thing with the Sony is that they have like face recognition, but also eye focal recognition. So they focus on your eyeballs, which is critical, right? If the guy's eyes in focus, everything's good. But then if you hold a product in front of the lens instantly, like just that fast, the focus just snaps onto the product and it is so fast, so sharp. And so, like, repeatable. You know, you put something in front, boom, focus on that thing, pull it back, boom, focus it down. Now, obviously, if you're not actively, like, putting uh, a product right in front of the lens, you want to turn that off because, you know, I noticed when I gave the camera a thumbs up at the end of the video, it kind of did some hunting. of wondering whether it should focus on my thumb or on my face. But uh, in my week that I've had this camera, it has absolutely blown me away at how sharp and fast and precise the autofocus is. I used to get comments on my on my channel when I was in the shipping container. Uh, people would uh, would say like, "Focus, you 
and and they'd swear. I mean, we're not going to drop the F-bomb here, but they'd say, focus you. And I didn't really get it. And then I'd go back and look at the video. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that camera is really hunting for my face, uh, particularly if there's a lot of contrast behind you. Uh, my buddy, uh, Mike Stewart, he made uh, a sign for me, a simple life sign. You may have seen it in any of my videos. And it's a nice LED sign. It says simple life. It's my logo. And if I have that turned on and I'm in you know, kind of in front of it with the camera in front of me so that that sign is in my background, there's no chance my G7X Mark II will keep focus on my face. It will go between me and the sign and most likely stay on the sign more than on my face. I did that same test with the Sony, and I was just, wow, it, it didn't hit the sign one time. So, uh, so far, I'm actually really impressed. I'm more impressed than I thought I would be, and generally, I'm quite skeptical of new tech. You know, you get a new camera, it's like, you know what, I know people hype it up, and you watch these YouTubers do all these videos of it, and it, it's kind of like when you buy a GoPro. You know, you go to the store, that's like a you know, an outdoor hunting store or a sporting goods store, and they've got the display with the little screen and all that surfing footage of the GoPro, and it's just so incredible. <laughs> and then I use it, and I, I try to make a video myself, and it looks like garbage. That's generally the attitude that I take when I'm buying a new camera. I'm like, Ugh, it's not going to be that good. But uh, this one has been absolutely very good. So if you're considering starting a YouTube channel, you know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, it's oversaturated. There's there's too many people making video content now. And there's a certain sense where I'm like, yes, that's kind of true. But the part that they don't ever mention is the fact that there's more users now. You know, there's more and more people getting into it, but there's also more and more people consuming it. So, yes, I think it's probably a little bit more difficult than, say, 10 years ago. But I think if you have a desire to make YouTube videos and if it's something you're interested in, I would absolutely jump at it. You never know until you try. And uh, the one thing I think it's important to realize is that making YouTube videos is a lot of work. Um, uh, one of my nieces wanted to get a, become a YouTuber. It's kind of like a thing. A, a lot of young people now want to be YouTubers. And I'll see them. They'll make some videos. Maybe they'll make five videos. And they'll be like, why don't I have a thousand subscribers yet? And I, I think the biggest thing with YouTube... First of all, you're going to be really excited about what you're doing. You need to be passionate about it. I think that is probably one of the things that helped my channel in the early days. And if I'm going to be really, really honest, I think I've lost some of that enthusiasm, that raw passion and, and excitement. And I think it's hurting my channel in a, in a certain sense. And I've talked about it before, but part of the reason for that is that, you know, when you make knives for a living all day long... Um, I'm not a full-time content creator on YouTube, right? Like I need to create money other than my videos. So when I'm working on knives all day, I honestly don't really want to go in the evening or like first thing the next morning and edit a knife making video. You know what I mean? It's, I, I really like making knives. I love it. I'm, ex I'm excited about it. But there kind of comes a point where it's like, I need a break. I, I need to step back and do something other than making knives. But I think that's the number one thing. Uh, if, if you want to have a good channel, if, if you want people to watch your content and enjoy your content, you need to be excited about it. You need to have fun with it. And I think people can sense fake uh, fake people, you know, people that make videos because they like, got oh, whatever. You know, there's some people that make videos and they don't really care about the results. And they're just like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to run a camera and, and film it. And it, it's kind of interesting. You know, it's all the different approaches. Um some people can do just, you know, film what you're working on, just fast forward footage, the classic Jimmy DeRista style. 
Um, but, you know, I find those, those are the ones that I really like because as somebody who understands certain processes of making things, obviously not all of them, I've got so much I can learn, but, you know, I know how to grind and weld and, and work with wood. Really, you know, it's enough for me just to see their process and I'm like, ah, oh, okay, that makes sense. I get why they did that. And then I get other comments. In fact, I, I had one earlier today. Uh, somebody said, oh, good, finally somebody who actually explains what they're doing. And and there's a lot of different camps. There's a lot of different audiences. And the more videos you put up on YouTube, the more you realize that. And I think, honestly, the, the number one thing you can do is you need to do the YouTube videos for yourself. You're going to have the people that just want the fast forward. And if you explain something over it, they're going to be like, why are you talking? I, I can see what you're doing. And then, again, like the comment I had today, oh, finally, somebody who's actually explaining what they're doing instead of just working in silence. And you can't please everybody. Uh, I like to have a mix. I, I like to do voiceovers. I like to just do the fast-forward stuff. And then I also like to do some where it's kind of like more like a vlog. You know, you kind of sit in front of the camera, talk about what you're going to do. Obviously, you don't spend too much time there because it gets really boring. Uh, the other thing you got to think about with YouTube comment is it's it's like a fully invested experience for the user right it's not like a podcast where they can kind of just you know put it in the background or if they're doing something you know you don't need to focus too hard on a podcast you can be playing it while you're driving but if, if you're watching a youtube video you're watching it and you're listening to it and you really aren't doing anything else so that's one thing to consider and think about um you want to you want to keep it moving fairly quick but at the same time you know you want to you want to make sure you get enough information in there and then the other thing that I think is really, really important is that there's different audiences for everything, right? And if you're going to make YouTube videos, you're going to find an audience. I, I believe that to be a fact. Some people find theirs quicker. Some audiences are bigger than others. But, you know, there's some YouTube channels. Uh, there's actually one that started at the same time I started mine, I believe. And... I've subscribed to him since I started Simple Life YouTube channel, and I believe the channel is called KDP Ross. And I, I remember we were both like less than 100 subscribers, and we were like messaging back and forth and stuff. And I, I, I don't know. I think he's got like 2,000 subscribers now. So his actually, I might be wrong. I should check that out real quick. But his his growth on YouTube has been quite a bit slower than mine, but he's still making the exact same videos. Let me just check this out. KDP Ross, I think. Yeah, okay, so he's got 393 videos, and he's got 3.95 thousand subscribers. And as a comparison, I've got, what do I have? 582 videos and 257,000 subscribers. And we started at the same time. I've obviously made a few more videos than him. Uh, about 200 videos than him, not quite 200 more, but... At the same time, when I watch his videos now, he hasn't changed them at all. And I can still tell that he's enjoying doing what he's doing. And he's doing it for the same reasons he was before. Now, I still watch his videos. I, I don't necessarily like all of them. He's into some really fine uh, stuff like pens and very expensive watches. And he's got a very, a very interesting way that he thinks about them. He thinks deeply about these things and EDC stuff. I think that's probably where I find where we got in touch with each other is through the EDC stuff. But I still watch some of his videos and some of his videos, I'll watch the whole thing because I'm like, you know what? I actually really enjoy this. This is interesting. But I think that's a big thing to consider if you'd like to start a YouTube channel is that it's going to take work, right? 
and your audience is out there. Different people find their audiences at, at different rates and different audiences are, you know, different audiences are different sizes. You know, if you're talking about some tech, right, or if you're like into cameras and, and new technology or phone reviews, in a certain sense, that market is very, very saturated. But at the same time, there's a ton of people looking for that, right? Like if you can get your hands on the latest Apple thing, you know, right when it comes out and you do a video about it, you've got a pretty good chance at at least getting a decent spread and getting that video uh, thumbnail to pop up in a lot of feeds. Whereas if you're doing something a little bit more niche, like, I don't know, say you like to build furniture with popsicle sticks. Um, or you dial down like fly tying, you know, you like to tie your own flies. Uh, there's a much smaller market that are going to look at fly tying videos than are going to be looking at the latest iPhone. So that's one thing to consider, one thing to think about. And I think one thing I wish I had done more when I started my YouTube channel, and maybe you can't, maybe it's something you just have to kind of go for it, but think about who your audience is. The videos that you create, what type of person is going to be watching them? What do they want to see? And I think this is, I guess when I look at this, when I ask this question to myself, I always just say, what do I want to watch? You know, I'm, I'm a middle-aged guy. I'm a father. You, you know, I've got things to do. Uh, I've got obligations to meet. I've got to provide for my family. And if I'm going to spend some time watching a YouTube video, what is it that I want to watch? And so I think that's a pretty good place to start. If you want to watch the video, then you should make that video. And then ultimately, um, I think the biggest thing if you want to do YouTube videos and stuff, is that you have to actually enjoy it. You have to enjoy the process. Uh, like I'd mentioned in the previous episode, uh, editing for a lot of people is slow. It takes a lot of work. Uh, if you just go ahead and start cranking out like videos like crazy, you will get much faster at editing. Uh, editing, to me, is not the hard part. It's the fastest part by far. Uh, for me, it obviously takes more hour, more time to actually, say if I'm doing a knife build, I've got to film the entire knife build. Well, that's, I don't know, what, is it going to be like a 12-hour process to make a knife or something like that? Uh, but I can have that edited and buttoned up and on YouTube in about an hour to two. And so the editing, uh, once you get efficient at it and you kind of figure out the, the tools and the workings that work good for you and do it a lot, that's kind of a ticket with it, you do it a lot, you'll get good at the editing. And, you know, when I shoot... I never think about the edit, and and maybe I should. I'm wondering lately if I should kind of put a little bit more forethought into what's this going to look like in in the post-production. But at the same time, whatever I do out in the garage, whatever I do with the camera, um, it ends up working. And it's kind of funny because uh, the other day I was was doing some shots for this knife build, and I thought, you know what? I'm just kind of putting the camera here, and I'm not even thinking about what it's going to look like as a package. I just kind of point it at the right spot, make sure what I want to be seen and to be shown is in focus and it's it's fairly clear, and then just do it. And sometimes when I'm making videos, I forget, you know, I forget to keep filming because I'm not thinking about a video. I'm just like, okay, for this knife, we have to film every step of it. And so I'm like, okay, remember the camera, put the camera up, set it up, and then do your work. And sometimes I'll go on to the next step. I'm like, oh, shoot, I forgot my camera. And it's kind of interesting. I know there's some people uh, talking with other YouTube creators that, you know, every shot they take, they think about it in post-production. Kind of like, okay, when I piece this movie together, what do I want to get out of this shot here? This step of the process, how do I want to portray that within the bigger scope of the entire video? I never think that way. And uh, it might be kind of a fun experiment to try thinking that way and just see 
if it affects, you know, the way that I do the work, the way that I film, and then also the way that I process, you know, it might have an impact on the final product. And then there's the other side of YouTube videos. And and there's some people that have literally gotten away with just putting up a GoPro and and doing stuff. Uh, One channel that I'd recommended previously as my recommendation was a channel named Adam Camerata. And I saw a video where he was talking about his YouTube career. He gets views like crazy. I think his subscribership is about four or 500,000. Uh, but he'll put a video up and get like 40, 50, 60,000 views in an hour. And this video that he puts up will be like uh, widening my driveway. And <laughs> it's literally a picture of his bobcat with like a cutter on the front of it. Uh, but when he was talking about him starting YouTube, all he really wanted to do was record time lapse. And so he bought a GoPro and he wanted to do a bunch of time-lapse video of him working on things. And for some reason, somehow, I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, people talk about the algorithm or, or this or if you hit this just right. But somehow he's got this incredible audience and his videos have taken off. And, you know, a lot of his videos are like, okay, I've got to repair a driveway. And so it'll be like a 40-minute long video just GoPro footage. Typically, he'll just put it up on a tripod and then start working. And boom, he'll get half a million views in like two weeks. So you never really know with YouTube, right? And that's why I think especially a lot of people are like, oh, how should I do? I want to start a YouTube video, but I don't know how. Or I want to get into YouTube, but it's too saturated. We don't know, right? There's There's so much about YouTube that's unexplained. And if, if you listen to podcasts of other content creators, um, you know, they'll talk about the fact that there is no uh, manual for this. No, There's no YouTube handbook. You can't take a YouTube content creators course in university, right? And and some of the things that should, should be like a formula, it's like, okay, you got to have this amazing camera, this amazing lights, this amazing sound, blah, 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 and boom, you're going to make it. That doesn't necessarily work on YouTube. YouTube has always kind of been a departure from that overly produced, um, you know, the network type shows. Having said that, there are a lot of people that are doing some very well-produced content with smashing success. Uh, There's a channel called Rhett and Link. I used to like them, don't like them that much anymore. Um, But it's basically like a produced show. I think they do it every day. And, you know, it's kind of like watching a morning show where they do crazy things or they eat gross food or something like that. And a lot of production. And same thing with Alex Steele, right? Massive production. And he's having success, right? Uh, he's got a team working for him. He's got videographers and, and editors. And so that necessarily wasn't what YouTube was all about. But but the platform is constantly changing, I guess, is the main point, right? It, it's changed to the point where, you know, people like Alec can do phenomenal work there. I mean, he's had his show sold to history, right? I think it was History Channel UK or something like that. But the video footage that he took was literally at that level, that cinematic, that high quality, that boom, they just put it on network television. And he's putting that stuff out on YouTube. And at the same time, you know, there's channels like this Adam Camerata who's got massive views. And it's just like just a GoPro in a field. And, you know, he tries to change the angle around a little bit. But when I think about it, it's ultimately what resonates with the people. You know, when I watch Adam Camerata, I like his videos because I'm curious on how to do that. Uh, he does a lot of repairs too, which I'm fascinated. I could work on on vehicles and, and not necessarily cars so much, but like tractors and equipment. I love working on that stuff. And so if I can watch some guy 
you know, just put a GoPro up and move it around with whatever he's doing and seeing, you know, the way different people do things. You know, a guy will take a, a certain tool and use it differently than I've ever used it. Um, I just love that. It's really cool. And ultimately, the thing that's amazing about YouTube is that there are no rules. You know, anybody can just go out there and create something. I mean, obviously, there's like community guidelines and, you know, there's there's certain things that you can't do or else you can be demonetized and all that stuff. But as far as the content type, the flow of it, how you want to film it, even the subject matter, do whatever you want, right? It's yours. You might make it, you might not. But if you're excited about creating videos, and if it's something you have a desire to do, man, I would jump on it. It is so much fun. A little story about myself is that I, I started my first YouTube channel uh, before YouTube was owned by Google. And I'd do little videos of like me, you know, renovating a bathroom or something like that. And I think I have a hundred and some subscribers on that channel. And, um, but before I was doing that, I, I would do these videos for our work. Uh, I was a project manager and and so we'd have our company Christmas party and they wanted to do some type of a slideshow to kind of celebrate the past year. And I thought, well, forget the slideshow, let's make a video. And so I'd take all the different pictures from the job sites. I kind of sometimes do goofy things like there's this, um, we had this, the guys in the paint booth as they peeled the masking tape off of, you know, the parts after they're painted, they'd start rolling them up into a ball. And they ended up getting this ball that was of masking tape that was like the size of a beach ball. I mean, it probably weighs 60 or 70 pounds. And then somebody came along and uh, painted a face on it one day and, and stuck it on a broom handle and they called him Stew. He was safety stew. And, uh, you know, I thought I'm going to have a little fun with this. So in this video, I, I kind of set up this plot and I talked to some of the guys on the shop floor. I said, listen, why don't we do this video about safety stew? And he's like the safety inspector and there's these little stories. And so I'd just interview guys that say, make something up about safety stew. And some guys would be like, oh yeah, you know what? Every, you know, ever since this happened, he's sure changed things around and it's gotten good. And then the next guy would be like, oh, me and Stu don't get along very well. And then in that scene, I actually had somebody kind of bring that safety Stu head just around the corner. And he's like, oh, oh I got to get back to work as if Stu was like kind of spying on him everywhere. And then we kind of set up the final shot. And this was a little bit stupid, uh, but we put safety Stu in these coveralls and we propped them up onto uh, a forklift. And this took a lot of work, right? We had to like fill in the body with paper, you know, packing paper and stuff like that. And so put safety stew on a forklift and uh, we put it to drive and I set the camera up and we kind of lifted his hand up like he was waving and I wanted the whole shot to look real so I, I had the camera out quite a ways and you could kind of see down the whole aisle of the shop and we had one guy kind of crawling beside the forklift but we actually had the the gas pedal of the forklift just pushed down a little bit and so we literally had this forklift driving across the shop floor with this stuffed coveralls and this tape head. And it was kind of dangerous. When I think about doing it now, I'm like, that was a really stupid thing to do. But um, anyways, that's what uh, we put that into these videos. And um, and I started doing these Christmas videos and they kind of people enjoyed them. They became a thing. So every year I'd make Christmas videos and then I'd start doing training videos for where we worked you know, how to do this and how to do this and very specific to our equipment. I'd, I'd go to a job site and I'd be installing conveyors and I'd bring my camera with me and I'd just kind of film some parts 
edit it and then I just, you know, talk to the boss and say, hey, can we give this to the installer so that they have an idea of what to do next time? So video production has been something I've always been fascinated by. I've always enjoyed it. And I think that in itself makes it easy to, uh, to, you know, to get into YouTube and to want to do this stuff. And I know there's a lot of people that like watching YouTube videos but have no desire whatsoever to make their own. And that is totally fine. Uh, obviously, I, I think this entire episode is probably not going to be that fascinating to you. It's not It's not really directed at you. Um, but the people that are like, oh, man, I want to make YouTube videos. I'd love to make my own you know, YouTube content. You just need to do it. You know, it's like the same people that comments like, oh, I've always wanted to make a knife. I just one day I'll get to it. You just need to do it, right? You, you don't wait till you have all the right gear, all the right stuff, all the right this. The more you make YouTube videos, the more you'll realize what it is you want to help you make the YouTube videos. You know, you could just go out and buy the Canon ZV-1 that I just bought and I love, and it's going to work well with my workflow. It might not do the same thing for you, right? It might not be the right camera for you. But I think the important thing is, if it's something you want to do, grab whatever camera you can get your hands on and just start making the videos. You'll realize uh, the, the shortcomings of a current camera that you have, or maybe not. Maybe you'll realize that, you know what? This is working so good for me. This is exactly what I was hoping to do. It's easy and it's fast, and boom, I get a, I get a result that I want. That might be the answer, right? But if you don't start doing that, you, you just never know. Uh, so a lot of people ask me, okay, what camera should I get? And you know what? For me, personally, I would say something like the G7X Mark II. Obviously, that one's hard to get now. And uh, the ZV-1 is pretty much filling that exact same functionality, that little spot for me, right? It's You turn it on, you've got a decent quality image, uh, you've got good sharp autofocus. What you want to be sharing is going to be shared and clearly, and the audio is not that bad, right? Like I'm not looking for real professional audio, ASMR, stuff like that. I just want it to be decent. And so this camera, this new Sony is going to be great for that, and I'm really excited about it. Um, I guess if you want to know specifics on the Sony, oh, actually, you know what, before we get to that, I don't even know if we're going to get to that because there's so much information out there. But uh, one thing I wanted to bring up and, and point to is if I go to my YouTube channel, let me just pull it up on my computer here. Bear with me. This is like live radio that's pre-recorded. So if we go to my videos and I go sort by most popular. So my first most popular video with 5.1 million views is a Kiapa Little Badger gun. Uh, funny thing is that it's actually still monetized. I've heard that it's really difficult to keep uh, gun videos monetized. Uh, one interesting thing with that is that thing actually kind of took off. It wasn't viral or anything according to real definitions of viral, but you know, within the first year I got like a million views or two million views. And this was at the time when I believe my channel had like... Let me see. I just want to see. Was this part of the... Okay, so when I did this was the first time I did a 20-day video challenge. And I had about... I'm going to say I had 1,000 subscribers. And then this video really started hitting. And when I looked at the analytics, this was kind of the point I wanted to make about this video. But when I look at the analytics, the way that it was shared the most was via text messaging. And you, you can see that in your creator, your YouTube creator studio. You can really drill down and look into these things but the number one comment on that and because it's a folding gun I was kind of approaching it from the point that's a, a good survival gun you know if you're out hiking or or camping and you need a gun 
you know, if you're on a fishing trip and you just want to have a 22 with you, you could fold it up and put it into your backpack. And that was the, the number one comment. It's like, oh, great. It's perfect for school shootings, you know. And so I think it had to do with something like that. And, and that's why I was kind of being shared via text amongst all these kids in school. Um, but uh, so anyways, that was that video. But I'm just going to go back here to my uh, my second most popular video. And this was a point I kind of want to make about cameras. Uh, the second most popular video I have was from four years ago. It's 2.5 million and it was on making a rocket stove. Now, that whole video was shot on a $200 uh, camcorder. It was a little Canon Vixia. I paid 199 bucks at Costco for it. Uh, the, the video that it takes was actually quite terrible, and that's actually the first camera I had for YouTube. I thought, whatever, this is all I need. I had better cameras at the time, but I thought, you know what, I'm just going to bang this little project out, and I kind of just want to document it. Uh, so I used a GoPro Hero Session 4 along with this flip cam, and 2.5 million views. So it's like my most popular, second most popular video. It's my most popular making video. And I think the reason for that is that it had a decent pace. Like the, the video kind of flowed well enough. I don't know how long this video is. It's 12 minutes and 50 seconds. Um, but at the time, rocket stoves were really popular, right? People were like, oh, what, what's a rocket stove? And, and all this prepping stuff. And um, that was kind of a timing thing, I think. But it was interesting to think that, okay, I've got a video with a subject matter that's kind of relevant, and I, I didn't do an amazing job on the edit, but I didn't do a terrible job on the edit. Uh, but even though my camera was pretty terrible, the video was popular. I just find that interesting. And it's I've heard a lot of people say this, and I've found this to be true. A lot of times you'll put a lot of work into a video, and you'll kind of think about it, and you'll, you'll use your best lenses and your you know, you'll set up your camera just perfect to make sure the sound's just excellent. And you, from a production side, it's it's like your best work. And then it bombs. <laughs> the video gets like no views. And then there's some videos where it's like, ah, oh, this is going to be an afterthought. I guess I'll film this. And then, oh, wow. You know what? This thing's actually doing well. Making a rocket stove. It got 2.5 million views. Uh, same thing with the Kiapa Little Badger. That was not something I was really expecting much from. I did shoot that with a decent lens, so there's a lot of uh, uh, background blur. It kind of has a nice creamy cinematic look to it. But that video was just like me up in my dad's uh, in the barn, and it took me about, I don't know, half an hour to film it. Probably about same time to edit it, maybe an hour or so like that. It's 5 million views, you know, so it's kind of interesting. Um, I actually want to look at this for a second. I want to look at the analytics on this video. As you know, a video with five point, and this is for my channel. My channel CPM is not the most amazing, but this is just kind of some insights uh, to people. Let's just say since uploaded, that view has made me $2,198 with 5.1 million views. Hours of watch time, it has 213,000 <laughs> hours of watch time. That's a lot of lives I've wasted. I kind of feel bad about that. And then that video has uh, driven 9.2 thousand subscribers to my channel. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. thought you might, uh, you know, it's just kind of whatever. It's, it's kind of something I always wonder, um, you know, how much does a really popular video get? And again, my channel has a really low ad rate because it's knife making. It's not advertiser friendly according to YouTube, but... Uh, for those of you who are wondering, 5.1 million views on my channel equals to $2,200 over the lifetime. 
That's since I uploaded it. So anyways, that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing to look at. And, you know, the, the more you do YouTube, um, like anything, you kind of have a, a deeper feeling towards it, a deeper sense about it. Um, I like it. And if you're going to start doing YouTube, the one thing you need to realize is that if you start to get popular, which is, you know, you get really excited, it's like, yes, I'm getting a lot of views, you're also going to start getting a lot of trolls. And I'll tell you firsthand, it can suck. It can really be hard on you. And I, I generally think of myself as being very thick. So blah, blah, blah. I think of myself as being quite thick skin. I can't even talk anymore. I think of myself as being fairly thick skinned. You know, I, I let the insults come in. It's like, whatever, it doesn't bother me. And, you know, most situations it doesn't. But <laughs> there's a point where, you know, if you start getting really popular YouTube videos, you're going to get a lot, a lot of hate comments. And um, I think the best thing to do is probably if there's a way you could not look at them. Uh, the one thing I would never ask my wife to do, and I'm like, well, who who could I give access to my account and then just delete the bad comments? Um I think the only person I'd trust with access to my account would be my wife, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to put her through that, right? I don't want her to see all this criticism towards me. Um, <clears throat> I think I'd probably handle it better than she would, um, but that's the one thing you need to consider is that it's going to come. Uh, often, I, I, I'm kind of mixed on on the, the way you should treat these comments as well. In the beginning, I'd really get into it with people, and then I kind of thought, you know what, this is silly, and then I'd start you know, just delete the comment, don't even respond. And and then I, I've done two videos on my YouTube channel. I'm not necessarily proud of these, but I'll actually just make fun of the commenters. I think they're funny videos. I was trying to be funny in them, and I, I think I did a pretty good job with that. But um, now what I'll typically do, now when I get a really nasty comment, I, I'm not, uh, you know, a lot of people take the high road and they're like, oh, you know what, I, I really hope you have a better day than you're having right now. I kind of liken it to the fact that if I just walked up to somebody in a grocery store and said, you're stupid, what what should they do to me? I think they should just slap me in the face. You know, just give me a punch to the teeth. If somebody said that to me, I'd probably just kick them in the balls, right? Um, I'm not a, I'm not a pacifist. You know, everybody's like, oh, you should turn the other cheek. I'm like, ah, I don't know. It's It's hard. I don't do that to people, right? So why would I let people... Or put up with people doing that to me. Uh, so now what I typically do is um, someone leaves a bad comment. I will uh, respond to them. I'll give them a nasty response back. Uh, I'll just say something like along the lines. You know, if somebody comments about how terrible my knives are or something like that, I'll be like, well, by your comment, I can tell that you can't do this. Because anybody that's tried to make a knife has at least some level of respect for other people trying to make a knife. And I think that's true. I think that's a fact. People tell you, oh, you didn't make our knife right because you didn't forge it out. Ha, ha, ha. It's like, well, you know what? I'm doing way more than you've ever done in your life and probably ever will do. Because if you are the world's greatest knife maker, you're massively talented. And you see somebody making their first knife and, and they're doing stock removal. Oh, no. And they're doing it with a file. And they're using a file that they annealed as their steel, Right. And they finish it up with like a, a paracord wrap that looks kind of sloppy. I think even the greatest, most crafted knife maker on earth would give respect to that person. 
because there's a sense of uh, relation to what they're doing. You know what it takes to make a knife. I think people that criticize, <laughs> they do it because it's kind of like, you know, the guy on the on the couch telling the football player, just run faster. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think professional athletes, when they retire, watch the television and, and tell, you know, other athletes on TV, move faster or throw it harder, you know, skate. I think the reason people do that is because they have no idea what it's actually like to be in the game. I heard that saying, I forget what it is. It's, you know, the people sitting on the sidelines shouldn't be telling the people actually in the game what to do. Same thing on YouTube. So what I'll typically do when I get these comments is I'll just say something nasty to them, like you're useless. Or one of my favorite things I'll say is, well, you know what? Uh, Tomorrow morning when I say you're a pretty nasty person. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you still got to see yourself. No, no, no. What What I say is, you know what? You're a pretty terrible person. The nice thing is I got to block you and I never have to hear from you again. But tomorrow morning when you wake up, you're still going to be there. That's a pretty crappy life you have. And I know it's mean. I shouldn't say that stuff. I shouldn't engage with them. But uh, that's typically how I do it. It's, it's like you're going to take a jab at me. I'll take a jab at you and then I'll shut you down. You know, just shut you off. Because I, I don't need that in my life. And I don't know. I know I listened to some of the other podcasts on the Makery Network who do YouTube videos, uh, The Art of Craftsmanship and uh, House of Work For It, uh, Brian House. And I, I really, I admire their responses to their critics. They, they typically just say that they like to say, you know what, I hope you have a better day, you know, or they'll try and win them over. I admire that. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm just so jaded, uh, but I'm just like, you know what, I'm not winning you over. I don't care. I, I want to never hear from you again. And that's what I was doing for about a year and a half. I was just uh, just blocking them from the channel, right? No response, nothing. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time on them. But at the same time, I my, my personality, the type of person I was, I like to fight. I like to argue. Um, You know, I was on like debate team in school and I loved it. I loved it when we got into it. And if somebody questions me and even if it's a little bit aggressive and they're like, I like to fight. Let's, I just have to say it that way. It, it's sick, but I love fighting. If somebody's arguing with me, I think clearer, I think faster. There's something about me, and maybe I'm sick in the head, but I actually, I feel better when I'm fighting about something. Now, now I realize that, you know, life is short and I'm not going to fight everything that comes up. I always choose my battles very carefully now, but when I do decide to fight, it's, uh, man, it's good. I love it. I just love it. But the thing that kind of, change my mind about just leaving comments and just ignoring them is that for my personality, I want a little excitement. I want a little bit of, you know, and I think that when I just completely block people, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to respond to the haters. I lose a passion for the game. I get more excited about the game when I have a hater and then I can just say, you, and it just kind of, it's like fuel, right? And it's not fuel that, oh, I got these haters. I'm just going to ignore them. I got these haters. I'm going to put them in their spot and then I'm going to block them. And I don't know. I don't know if it's right or wrong. Um, it's definitely a personal thing, a personality thing with me and the way I, the sick way that I think and that I like to argue and fight. But all that to say, you do need to get ready to deal with that stuff if you uh, if you start finding success on YouTube. You can't get away from it. 
I don't care who you are. I've seen some of the most polite YouTubers with the greatest content, the, you know, just wonderful personalities doing it all for the right reasons. There's nothing nasty or harsh about what they do, and they get some pretty terrible criticisms. It's par for the course. It happens. So that's one thing you need to think about. And I do think that that can, can play into your your passion for, for making videos. So you need to think about that. Uh, I know a lot of people, they can, you know, it can actually really affect them and really start to bring them down. And uh, I find it kind of did to me when I wasn't uh, re-engaging with them and kind of firing them back. I, I definitely... I definitely handle criticism more if if I can give it right back to the person that gave it to me. But at the same time, that might not be the right thing to do because that's not spreading positivity in the world and kind of need that. Well, I think I'm going to wrap this up here. If you have any questions about these podcasts, feel free to reach out on Instagram. My Instagram handle is simplelittlelife.ca. And uh, anything like about YouTube, content creation, knife making, yada, 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 I'd do my best to answer the questions. I can't get to all of them, uh, but specifically stuff on this podcast, if, if something here kind of came up and piqued your interest. And, uh, you know, on YouTube too, if you got questions about YouTube, it's funny because I feel way less questions about YouTube than I do about knife making. And um, I like talking about YouTube as much as knife making almost. And so, Yeah. Well, um, I think I was supposed to have a recommendation to wrap up this episode, and I can't really find one. Actually, you know what? I'm going I'm to do this one, KDP Ross. I'm going to say there's a very high likelihood you're... I'm going to say there's a very high likelihood you're not going to love this channel, but I used it as an example, and I still... I still I'll probably watch one of his videos like every three months. I'll be like, oh, yeah, let me check out one of his videos again. And uh, he's got a very soothing voice. He's very calm and mellow. And uh, I don't know. It's just something completely out there. Something that I would always think I would never watch this. But then I'll find myself watching his videos and be like, oh, I'm actually kind of fast. Somehow, somehow this completely weird thing has kind of brought me in a little bit. So check that channel out if you'd like to, KDP Ross. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Also... If you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, this is the place, the Makery Network. I've heard a rumor, well, I kind of heard it on the Knife Talk podcast today, and I'm not sure if it's coming to the Makery, but there might be another podcast coming, a CNC podcast. There's lots of good stuff here. Uh, Check it out. Um, Some really good deep thinkers, some really good interviewers, and uh, some goofballs just having fun, doing whatever they want. Makery Network. Thank you, Craig, for putting this all together. I really do appreciate it. And uh, oh yeah, Craig actually messaged me today <laughs> saying that he was having troubles with his GoPro footage. <laughs> and he's actually got the GoPro 9, uh, the brand new one. And he's wondering if I had any tips or tricks for him. And I, I kind of just told him, said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't have good success with GoPros either. But ties in a little bit with our topic of the day. Anyways, I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. And we will catch you on the next episode. Cheers. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.